And I'd like you to open your Bibles with me as, uh, as we begin. We're going to be in the book of Luke this morning and starting out a sermon series called The Message of the Manger. Hope you notice on your way in this morning that we are, that we're beginning our celebration. We're beginning our, our Christmas festivities. We have, uh, I believe we've got candy canes out and we've got uh, apple cider and we've got our Christmas music playing and, and some have some decorations up at their house, but it's thanks, Thanksgiving was late in the month. We're done with Thanksgiving. We get to move on to a season of celebration of the birth of Jesus. And so we're so excited about it. I hope that you're here all five weeks in December as we take a deep dive and look into the message of the manger. It's pretty common when we think about Christmas that we see images come to mind. Images like, Maybe, maybe uh, donkeys or, or wise men. We, we see things like the manger in, in our mind. We can see a bright star up in the sky. Maybe, maybe angels singing to shepherds. All of these, these pieces of imagery come to mind when we're looking at, at Christmas. And they're important images of Christmas because they all represent a specific part of the Christmas story and they remind us of the intricate details that went into the birth of Jesus. Scientists have done studies and there's a, uh, a study at a Stanford University that, was, that, that, that shows that right now there's an estimated 7 billion people on the face of the earth. And if you were to go back generation, generation, and generation and add up everyone who has ever lived on earth all the way up to the, um, all, the all the way up to, let me see, sorry about that. Is that better? There we go. All the way up to the original two, it's estimated that there are and have been over 100 billion people who have been on the face of the earth since the earth was formed. And of a hundred billion people that have ever been on earth, there's so many differences between each and every person. There's also so many similarities between each and every person. If we look at the similarities, even in something as similar as our birth or our birthday, it'd probably be fair to say that most of us here were born in a hospital. Most of us here were um, after we were born, there was a nurse that, that, that washed us. Most of us were, were born into a, a family, and there was somebody that, that took care of us as we were growing up. But there are also some amazing, amazing differences in all of our birthday stories. Most of us were born on different days of the year. If we were to go around the room and, and look at birthdays, there might be a couple that share the same birthday, but there, there's, there's differences. Most of us were born at different hospitals, in different states, in different cities. And, and, and the people who came to visit us when we were born was all different. My grandparents didn't come when you were born, and, and your grandparents weren't there. It's somebody else's. So all of our births are different, yet there is so much similarity. And if you think about that, if we're just looking at the people in this room, there are differences. But a hundred billion people on earth and their births are all different. And our births are very miraculous. And they're unique. 
but none is as miraculous and as unique as the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. There's nobody on earth now or whoever has lived besides Jesus whose birth had been prophesied and predicted as much as the birth of our Savior. There was so much anticipation about the birth of Jesus going back thousands of years that, that an entire nation, God's chosen people, were anxiously awaiting his arrival. There was people who constantly would pray for the birth of the Messiah. And as much as they knew the Messiah was coming, it was even more amazing that the prophecies told people exactly where. There were so many prophecies about the birth of Jesus and where the Savior would be born and who he was. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't think there was many people who prophesied my birth, right? I mean, it's just not that important. I mean, it's important, but it's not that important. But it was widely known among the, the Jewish people that a Savior would be born and that his life was going to be so important that people for generations anticipated and they cared and they prayed for and they knew that a Savior was going to be born in a small little town called Bethlehem. They may not have known the details of the life of Jesus, but it was no secret where the magnificent birth was going to take place. No other birth in history was prophesied as much. None in the Bible, none in other uh, writings in history, none today. No other birth has been listed with the intricate details that went into the birth of Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, the prophecies with details, and, and we can see that the birth of Jesus was so specific. The, the Old Testament tells us of the birth of Jesus and the preciseness of this event. And I think if we look at it, we go through the Old Testament prophecies, it would just, it's mind-blowing to see how well God pinpoints this exact event in history, in time. Everything that goes into this, more than 700 years, 750 years before Mary in the manger, there was a prophet by the name of Micah. We see some of Micah's writing in one of our Old Testament books. In Micah 5.2, the prophet writes this. He says, But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. This is God speaking through a prophet, talking about a city that at the time is somewhat irrelevant, really. I don't want you to get the impression that Micah was simply taking a wild guess 750 years before Jesus was born and said, yeah, I think the Savior is going to be born. Eh, let's go with Bethlehem, right? Just pull a name out of a hat. It's not a wild guess at all. This is what God can do. God can absolutely pinpoint the birth of our Lord and Savior in a specific place at a specific time. You think about what it takes to have a baby be born in a specific city at a specific time. 
It's not just that it happened. It's that it happened with precise planning. Everything that goes into that, everything that goes up leading into the manger is so precise and it is, it is so involved that it is so much above anything that you and I could have ever done. This only comes from God. There was this prophecy that was given so that the people would know about the coming of the Messiah. And I want you to see what the doctrine historian, a gentleman by the name of Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, I want you to see what he writes in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, verse number 4 through 7. This is out of the King James Version. He writes this. He says, oh, And Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and the lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should, that, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. I want you to write this down. This is so important. 750 years before Jesus was born, there's a prophecy. And we can see prophecies of the, book, of, of the birth of Jesus and of a Savior going back all the way into Genesis. Point number one in your notes this morning. The birth of Jesus was so perfectly planned into eternity. For those of you joining us for the first time, you'll find on the right, left-hand side of your bulletin some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those answers, and the fill-in-the-blanks will be up here on the screen as well. The birth of Jesus was so perfectly planned into eternity. It would be as if today after church, you were to predict, prophesy, that somebody so important to the future is going to be born in maybe some small suburb outside of Denver, some community that nobody really knows about, but this person's going to be born in the year 2769. That's how far in advance Micah would have been prophesying about the precise location that Jesus would have to be born. Or what if somebody in the year, let's go back a few hundred, 1239. Somebody in the year 1239 predicted and wrote down exactly where you're going to be born, the hospital you're going to be born in, the nurse that was going to take you away, what color blanket they were going to wrap you in, in the year 1239. That's how precise the prophecies of the Old Testament were, pointing to Jesus. Most of us, our place of birth was honestly insignificant. I was born in Memorial Hospital on 34th Street in Bakersfield in 1976. It really doesn't matter that much. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. That matters. And that matters a lot. Because there was prophecy that was saying, this is where the Savior of the world is going to be born. I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to know that these prophecies are going to come. You're going to know the Messiah when these prophecies come into when they come to play when they when they come into effect as a matter of fact there's there's nothing insignificant about any aspects of the birth of our savior the message of the manger is so powerful that it reminds us exactly what it is that god can do 
God can pinpoint the birth of our Lord and Savior. You think that's easy to do? It's not for us. It's easy for God. There's so much that goes into that. There's so much that goes into that. You think, well, why? Couldn't have you just been born anywhere? Would the Jews have believed? Would the people, would we have believed? No, God set up prophecies so that you and I would know this is your Lord and Savior. I told you he was coming. I told you where he was going to be born. The prophets talked about it. Here he is. See, God can time eternity so precisely that he can deliver our Savior into the world, into our lives at just the exact moment. He can deliver the Savior into the world, into our lives at just the exact moment when we need Jesus in our life. Amen? Amen. See, he had to pinpoint the time when Jesus came into our world. But I want you to know that God has pinpointed the time when Jesus has come into your life. There's people that you know in your life right now that I know that tonight and tomorrow and and, and on Tuesday and on Thursday, you are praying. You know of somebody you're praying for. Say, oh, God, just come into your life. Come into their life. God's got that pinpointed already. God has a time. God can do it. And God has a plan. And just like there was nothing insignificant about the birth of Jesus, in God's eyes, there was nothing insignificant about your birth because there's nothing insignificant about you. You are all significant in the eyes of God. If we know for a fact that we are children of God, we are significant to God. Amen? Amen. We are absolutely significant to God. For the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the message of the manger so that we can see and and we'll be able to clearly identify exactly what it is that God did, what it is that God can do, and what it is that God does and can do with us. See, the message of the manger doesn't stop in Bethlehem. The message of the manger actually hasn't stopped at all. Mary had a mission And she had a job. You and I, as children of God, we have a mission. And we have a job. The message of the manger doesn't stop when they left the manger, when they walked away, when the shepherds were gone. Oh no. The message is just beginning on Christmas Day. It doesn't end on Christmas Day. I want you to come back with me in the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse number 26. Luke writes this, he says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now I want you to see here how specific and how accurate the story becomes as we look at the details. Luke tells us that Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. When we look at the word engaged, it's a little different in their world than it is in our world. Even if we go back 
40, 50 years, I think the word engaged has lost a lot of meaning in our modern day culture. Engaged is a ring and a date, and maybe if we get there, then it was an engagement, right? I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it doesn't really have the significance that it used to have, and it certainly doesn't have the significance that it did then. We see that the Bible says they were betrothed. It was a couple that had come together. It was almost a legally binding document. They're not officially married, but they will, they will spend quality time together. As a matter of fact, we're, we're going to see that <clears throat> Excuse me. in those days, Mary's father would have been just as significant in this relationship as Joseph was. There was a financial exchange that would have taken place. Mary's family was about to lose a helper. They were about to lose a worker. Joseph's family was about to gain one. So there is a financial compensation that's going to change hands. There is a written agreement that is going to happen. This is pretty common in these days. This written agreement that's in place during this time would say there's not going to be any relations between this couple they're engaged, they're going to be married, and it's not to be broken except through divorce. Now, this is an engagement that only can end through divorce, but they're not really married. So I want you to think about our modern-day engagement, but it's, it's stronger. There's more depth to it. You're not officially married, but it's not like you're going out either, right? It's a step above that. But you're not getting out of your engagement without like official divorce and although this arrangement in biblical times looked at the couple as husband and wife there was no opportunity for them to fully come together that doesn't happen in an engagement in these times but they are very dedicated to each other they are for all intents and purposes husbands and wives there is some aspects of marriage that they will enjoy. There are some that they will not until there's an official ceremony. In studying Jewish history, it's pretty common knowledge that, that we know and we can see that, that Mary was probably no more than 15 years old, probably closer to 13 years old, which is common about uh, this day and age for wives to be betrothed to their husbands. And this is all planned so far in advance by God. I want you to see what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah writes this. He says, The Lord himself will give you the sign, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That would have been so foreign to them in those days. So we've seen that the prophet Micah, has pinpointed exactly where the Savior is going to be born, the exact location. And now we see the prophet Isaiah, who is saying that the, that the Savior, the Messiah, is going to come from a virgin. I think that sometimes we take this for granted because we know the Christmas story. We've heard the Christmas story. We know, okay, so Mary and Joseph, and she's a, a virgin. And I think it's so important to, to realize and sometimes to step back and remember that the Messiah wasn't born to a woman in her 30s who had had four or five years, uh, four or five kids, and carries around a bunch of baggage. Not that having four or five kids brings a lot of baggage, but there is, that there is a very specific woman that 
the Messiah is going to be born to. Not going to be born to just anyone. It's amazing I th- when we look at it and, and when we step back and, 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 and realize and remember that nobody on earth up to our modern day, almost a hundred billion people who have walked the face of the earth, nobody except for Jesus has been born without the help of a father, of an earthly father. It's just something that doesn't happen except for Jesus because you know what? Only God can do that. That is something so powerful that only God can do. You and I know that a baby needs to come from a mother and a a father. Relations between a man and a woman. Everyone knows that. That hasn't changed. Science has confirmed that. Experience has confirmed that. History has confirmed that. You and I know that. Our grandparents know that. Uh, the, The Jews knew that. Mary and Joseph knew that. Everyone knows that. And now Mary and Joseph... Do you think that they've heard the prophecies? Sure, they've heard this. But would it be fair to say that sometimes we read things in the Bible and we have a hard time believing it without proof? Like without deep faith? You think about it, Mary and Joseph, they've seen this. They read this. This is in their Old Testament. They know that. But they've never seen it. They've never known anyone. Mary could have never imagined that she's going to be the one that the prophets are talking about. All of her brothers, all of her sisters, all of her cousins, all of her aunts, all of her uncles, grandparents, parents, everyone that she knows has been born from a mother with a father. Everyone. She's heard about this, maybe in the prophecies. But what's the chances that it's actually her? She doesn't know anyone. It all changes, though, in Luke chapter 1, in verse number 28. I want you to come back with me. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think about what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if an angel were to appear to me and say, hey, greetings, favored one, um, I would probably be a little bit confused myself. Um, I would be wondering, I would be thinking about, back about, you know, okay, this morning, I know what medicine I was supposed to be taking, and I wonder if I took the right one, um, because I'm seeing something here. Like, I'm not quite sure. Especially if an angel comes up to you and says, "Um, by the way, um, you're going to have a kid. Um, And, um, like, yeah, that's that's a lot to take in right at a big moment in your life. Like, what is this? What is this? There's an angel talking to me, telling me something like, Mary's like, I haven't been with a man. I want you to see this. Look at her reaction. Point number two in your notes this morning. Being confused and disturbed is human. Being confused and disturbed is absolutely human. You know what that does? 
points to the humanity of Mary. We recognize that there's some similarities between Mary and between you and I. See, in the entire life of Jesus, we never see Jesus confused and disturbed. This is the Son of God. This is God on earth. Like, Jesus is the one who has answers for confusion and being disturbed. Mary, however, is absolutely human, like you and I. Look what she's just been given. She's been given this mission, and she is confused. His mother, Jesus' mother, is confused and disturbed as an angel is talking to her. She's confused and disturbed because she's been chosen. She's confused and disturbed because she is human and is now asked to manage a very heavy spiritual issue. She's not been chosen for a task because she possessed a particular holiness that merited this privilege. The text, the Bible actually suggests that there is no special worthiness on Mary's part. See, Mary, she didn't do anything to deserve this. That's so important that I want you to realize that Mary did nothing to deserve this. God chose her. God chose her. You and I, we have a mission. We have a mission that is given to us by Mary's son. Mary's job was to deliver the Savior into the world. Our job is to deliver the message of the Savior to the world. Amen? Amen. That is our job. I want you to realize something else that is so important. Even though when you hear your job description, in the big picture of the gospel and the gospel message that that we hear from Jesus, when you were confused and you were disturbed as to what it is am I supposed to do with this gospel message, that's absolutely okay because you know what? You are human too. It's okay for us to be confused and disturbed. Like, what is it? What is it I'm supposed to do? Because here's the thing, you didn't do anything to deserve this. God chose you. We didn't, by our own works, work ourselves in the position to be the one to go out and tell others about about Jesus. No, God specifically chose you. It's our job. It is our job to go out. And to tell others. But we didn't earn it. We didn't didn't live a good enough life to deserve the opportunity to tell others about Jesus. As a matter of fact, it is our past sin that puts us in a position to where we recognize the grace that comes with knowing Jesus. If we didn't come from a sinful life, we wouldn't recognize the need of a Lord and Savior. I recognize the need of a Lord and Savior. I hope you do. I think we all can recognize that need. I want you to see what else the angel says to Mary. It's going to bring a little bit more depth to her calling and her job to deliver the Savior into our world. Come back with me to Luke. We're in chapter 1, verse number 32. Luke writes this. 
and he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow. This is your son. By the way, I'm an angel. I just appeared to you. You're going to have a child, and he's going to be a king. What? <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm just out here working with my family out in the field, and you're going to stop and tell me this? In the last five minutes, Mary just learned from an angel, a heavenly being, that she's going to have a kid, and now she's being told her son is going to be the king, would it be fair to say that, that she would probably start asking some questions? That she would probably now vocalize her, her confusion a little bit? She did. Mary, that's exactly what Mary does. Come back with me into verse number 34. <clears throat> Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. <laughs> it's so amazing. The questions that Mary asked and the answers that she gets back. Mary asked Gabriel, the, answer, the, the angel, Mary basically asks a one-word question. Mary says, how? I want you to watch. Gabriel basically gives her a one-word answer, and his answer is God. That's how. She says, how? The angel says, God. That's how. Because he is all-powerful. You're not going to know exactly how it's too big for you. God, that's all you need to know. You just need to know God. It leads us to point number three in your notes this morning. When we don't know how, God does. When we don't know how, God does. It's all because he is all-powerful. Look at us. Look at our limited human mind. Look at our limited human ability. Look at our limited human emotions. And look at God and His limitless ability. You and I don't know anyone who has come into this world without a father. You know, Jesus, we can't do that. God can. You and I don't know anyone whose, whose birthplace was pinpointed in history. We don't know anyone that we can go up and shake their hand. God does. Jesus has. God can, and he did. And when we don't know how a child can be conceived without a father, God knows. When we don't know how is a, a 13 or 15-year-old girl going to raise the Savior of the world? When we don't know that, God does. When we don't know what, what our mission in life is, God does. When we don't know where we're supposed to turn or who we're supposed to talk to about Jesus, God does. When we don't know the how, God does. Or maybe... When we don't know what it's going to take to save our marriage, 
God does. Or maybe when we don't know what it's going to take to get through this financial stressful time that we're going through with our family right now, God does. Or maybe when we don't know how we're going to get through this health scare, when we, when we don't know exactly, God does. Maybe you've wondered, you've asked yourself this, how are you supposed to know what God knows? If we don't know and we can realize that God knows, how are we supposed to know what God knows? How we're supposed to know what God knows is we have to do exactly what Mary did. We have to ask. Mary didn't know the depth of her mission, but God did. And you know what Mary did to gain more information? She asked and she listened for an answer. Mary had an angel in front of her. Kind of an advantage, I guess, right? When she was told you have a mission, she started to ask questions right away. But she listened for the answer. Mary had an angel right in front of her to ask questions to. You and I don't have an angel in front of us, but you and I, you and I have a book in front of us. You and I have an answer book in front of us that has the answers that we're looking for. The, questions, the question is, though, are we asking God? And are we listening for His answers? Because we have questions. And we have an answer book. We have a, we have a Bible that that has the answers in it. God has given us this as a, as a life guide, and He says, my answers are here. I just need you to ask the question. And then I need you to look and to read and search for the answer because it's here. See, the message of the manger is showing us exactly what God can do. There's so much that God can do. The entire Christmas story, it's full of amazing spectacles that only God can do. You and I can't do it. You and I can't summon angels to sing to shepherds. You and I can't direct wise men through a desert by the guidance of a star. You, You and I can't pinpoint the birth of our Savior in the world at a specific city, at a specific moment in time, lining up people to be at the right place. But God can. And if God can do all this, why do we still think that our problems are too big for God? If He can do all of this, why do we try and solve things on our own when He gives us the answers? Why are we trying to fix things on our own when we can see our God is so powerful, He has these answers already. Why are we trying to fix it on our own? We are so small. We are all so small. The message of the manger is that God can and that God does and that God will and that God loves and that God chose Mary the same way that God chose you. She had a mission. She had a mission 
The angel told her in Luke chapter 1, verse number 30. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This morning, Christian, don't be afraid because you have found favor with God. You have a mission. The story and the message of the manger, it doesn't end on December 25th. That's just when it begins. The manger is where our work begins. Mary had a job to bring a Messiah into the world. We've got a commission to tell a world about a Messiah. There's so many people in our world and so many people even in our city who don't know Jesus. Who don't know the story of a child. Maybe they, maybe they see a picture here and there. Maybe they have an idea. Maybe they went to a church with grandma decades ago. Maybe they know something about Jesus. But there's so many people in our world who don't know Jesus. We have a job. We have a mission. The message of the manger this signature event of the Christian calendar. It's not simply a moment for us to come together and enjoy some gifts and some loving atmosphere and time and parties and tinsel. It's a time to remind us that our mission has been magnified. That between now and next Christmas, when we're reminded of the same thing, our job is to tell people about Jesus. We're not a people. We're not a congregation. We are not a faith. And we were not given the mission to come and sit. We were given the mission to go and tell. We are... As Christians, we are people with a mission to go and tell others about the grace that comes by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is so much in this message that comes from the manger. It's more than beautiful Christmas cards. It is a beautiful Christmas story. It's a Christmas story that over 100 billion people that have ever walked the face of the earth need to know. Right now, there's about 7 billion of us on earth right now. And people will be born and people will die. And we are not going to be able to get out and spread this message to every single person. But even if we reach one We've reached one person for Jesus. We might not be able to save all the souls, but we can save a soul. We can reach somebody. But if we don't talk, if we don't tell, if we don't go and tell, if we come and sit, 
We haven't fulfilled our mission. That's our job. Mary did her job. It is absolutely time for us to do our job. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you're here this morning, and if some of this is kind of new, I'd love to pray with you in a moment. If you're here this morning and, 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 and you don't know the, the depth of Jesus Christ in your life and what His grace brings, all of that doubt in your heart, all of that guilt in your heart, it absolutely, it absolutely is to be given to God. He wants it. He wants to take that from you. There's plenty of room in heaven. There's plenty of room in the family for everyone to come and be a child of God. And there's amazing blessings that come with following Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the saving power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I want to pray with you. I'm going to be down front here in just a moment. And David's going to play. And I'm going to invite you to pray. And if you're here this morning and there's somebody in your heart that you have been praying for, that we need to pray for, you come and let's bring their name to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As Mary continued on with her mission, it's our job to continue on with ours. Let's pray.